This podcast is supported by Manitou Fund. We want to thank them for coming on board and, and helping to support this podcast. Really means a lot to us. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to your favorite podcast. I'm Mitchell Hora, a farmer from Iowa. And I'm Zach Johnson. I farm in Minnesota. As you know, this is Fieldwork, the podcast by farmers for farmers. Today on Fieldwork, we're going to talk about the benefits and challenges of sustainable agriculture, which is something we talk about and hold dearly to us here in the Fieldwork studio. Today, we're hearing from Indiana farmer Rick Clark. Um, I actually visited Rick on his farm uh, because he's a little unusual. He's doing both regenerative and organic at scale. And uh, Zach, I thought this was really awesome. We spent hours at Rick's farm and I could have spent days there. What he's doing is really amazing that he is kind of hitting on a, pretty much all of the topics that we've talked about on the Fieldwork podcast that he is using um, complete no-till, um, but he is he's organic and regenerative together. Okay. So no-till, cover crops, no pesticides or basically no pesticides across his whole farm. Uh, no synthetic fertilizers, but his yields are incredible. And the biggest thing, he's doing this on 7,000 acres. Oh, that's that's crazy to see somebody doing that at that kind of a scale. So should be should be an interesting conversation here. We, we also did a video of this interview that I had with Rick, and uh, we're using this fancy device called YouTube. Zach, uh, you should Google that sometime. Y O U T U B E YouTube. It's a place you can have videos, and yeah, we put a video up there about my uh, visit with Rick. I'm gonna have to check into that. So, is this on? Um, is this like? Do I need an Atari? Yeah, yeah. No, actually, they have internet on computers now, so you can go on there and you can find it. Uh, you know, I never was a fan of the computers. <laughs> the computers and now they're taking over the world. The yeah, supercomputer. I'm pretty sure they can read my mind, and pretty soon they're going to become self-aware. Yes, and uh, the information superhighway houses all that is, including the YouTube. Uh, I think it's time for us to roll the tape. Here is Mitchell's interview with Rick Clark on his farm, uh, Clark Land and Cattle in Williamsport, Indiana. Super excited to have a conversation today with Rick Clark. We're out in Indiana at Rick's farm. Um, and the talk here is really about how do we do sustainability at scale? We know that there's a lot of different options. There are a lot of, a lot of different tools that we can utilize to be more sustainable and to improve our impact on water quality and environment and whatnot. But how do we be able to, how do we actually scale this up to a manner where across the country, around the world, our effort can really make an impact? And to do that, we have to scale this to a lot of acres. Right. So excited to be with Rick here today. Rick, thanks for having us. First I'm of all, honored explain to, be to me, you. you know, how, where we're at. Tell mm -hmm. me about the farm. Right. Tell me about your path to sustainability. We are in uh, Williamsport, Indiana, which is west central Indiana, right on the Illinois line. Um, about 15 miles north of Interstate 74. Um, I'm a fifth generation farmer. My fam, my great great ancestors homesteaded here in the 1870s. Um, I'm very honored to be able to continue that tradition onward. Um, we here are a 
cash crop rotation of uh, corn, soybeans, wheat, and in the acres that supply uh, a local dairy, we add alfalfa to that mix to give us four crops. I wish we could do more diversity than that, but we're just we're bound by what markets we have. Um, and the last piece of the farm is we are in transition to organic. Um, we have been no-tilling soybeans for about 15 years. Okay. We've been no-tilling corn now for about 10, and we've been doing cover crops for about 10. Um, the very first success we had, uh, the very first attempt we had at cover crops was a successful attempt, and that's important. Uh, that kept my appetite for wanting to do more. Yeah. Uh, that was way back in 09, uh, I think 08 or 09, somewhere in that area. We planted just a very simple, basic tillage radish. Okay. Four pounds to the acre, that's all we did. Uh, they grew. That was this was done in September. Okay, so flown uh, on in September. It was it was flown on a, a crop like uh, a species like tillage radish will winter kill. So we want to get it out as early as we can in the fall to let it do as much as we can. Um, I always say there are things in life that validate what you're doing if you just slow down and look for these validations. Sure. My first validation with cover crops the next year, that particular field was our best averaging yield corn on the farm. That's awesome. I was hooked. <laughs> I instantly knew this is where we had to go. But it was just tillage radishes at four pounds, which is a pretty heavy rate. It's pretty, I didn't know what I was doing. It was yeah. too heavy. <laughs> there were radishes everywhere. <laughs> they were ever, how big were they? How big were they? Oh, they got to be the size of your arm. Oh, they were big Oh, radishes. they were big. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Okay, so just big radishes. Exploding out of the ground, disrupting the soil. And then the next surprise came when it got cold, they started to rot and smell. Oh yeah. And I'm like, what is that smell? <laughs> Again, I'm a rookie here. I'm a rookie here. So I walk out in the field and it's the radishes that are smelling. But now today, that smell is the smell of success. I like it. <laughs> that stank, <laughs> that stench that all the neighbors drive by. That's right. What is that? It's not manure. No. It's because it's literally a vegetable. That's right. It's like a rotting vegetable That's out right. there. So those, those radishes went into standing beans. That's correct. So went into beans before they dropped their leaves. That's correct. And then you planted corn the next year. Right, and it was the that. best yielding field we had. That's awesome. Yeah. So, but winter killed. Um, so one species, so you didn't jump right into diversity. No. Diversity one, can come later. Yeah. You got to get comfortable. How many acres did you do this That was on? just on uh, a 200-acre field. All right. So you got to get comfortable. You got to get relaxed and, and confident that what you're doing will, will work. How critical was the moisture of the soil? That was very critical. We had to have good seed to soil as much as we could. Now with the seed size of a radish, yep. that's why you can fly them on because you don't need a lot of soil no. content. You just need it to touch. Very small seeds. And a little bit of moisture and away they go. Because yep. remember, it was somewhere in that first 10 days of September, we're still in the 70s. Yeah. So it was a real quick germination and go. Yep. So nice and warm, but there was still a pretty good canopy at that point. Oh yeah. Yeah, but this doesn't work every year. I got yeah. lucky. I got lucky. Yeah. That is not my preference to apply cover crop. It's it's a John Deere air seeder. Okay, so the air seeder is the deal now, but walk us through, okay, the transition here. So, so tillage radishes in 2009 or so. Somewhere in that somewhere area, in that yes. Area. Good corn after that. 
But and it was non-GMO corn at that point. No, it was still it was still GMO corn. We were on the GMO uh, trail. Yep. Um, so you were a normal farmer. I was just a normal farmer. I'd taken out the tillage though, and now we're introducing cover crops. Yep. Okay. So the next year, it went to 800 acres. Mm. The third year, it went to 2,000 acres. By the fourth year, the whole farm. I mean, I went quick yep. because I saw the benefits of what was happening. Now, Mother Nature has nudged me where she's been wanting me to go this whole journey. She made my first attempt a success. Yep. She is the one who got me into farming green because we had cereal rye growing with the intent we had I don't remember how many acres, 1,500, 2,000 acres of cereal rye growing that was intended to be corn planted into it and then sent, um, at this point I'm still GMO, yeah. so we're gonna spray Roundup and terminate the cereal rye. It rained and rained and rained yeah. and I'm now planting corn into five foot tall cereal rye. <laughs> okay. How can I do this? Well, we have no choice at this point because we have to plant corn for obligations that we have. Okay. So you had to get the corn planted because of the rotation, because of You know, else. sales to the dairy, whatever. They needed their silage. These were acres that were committed to be silage. I've got to plant corn. But the point here, too, with not planting corn into big rye like that is because that rye is holding a lot of nitrogen. There's a lot of carbon out there. The carbon to nitrogen ratio at this point is at least 70 to 1. 70 to 1. Way too high. You're <laughs> on a train to failure. Yep. Okay. We're going, to, we're going to plant. But you planted into it plant anyway. Planted anyway. All right. That now, happened. the thing that we've noticed at the first was the corn was deprived of nitrogen. Yep. Obvious, right? For sure. Okay. What are you going to do about that? We're going to now feed it more nitrogen up front. Yep. Waiting for the cereal rye to break down and release these nutrients that is, it is sequestered. Yep. We're going to feed it the nitrogen up front to get to this point. And then once we got that nitrogen fed... We were off to the races. Now, you will rarely hear me talk about yield, but again, this field, one of these particular fields was number two of the yielding for the whole time. For the whole farm. Planted in again, huge rye. Mother Nature said, you can do this. And, and she's helped me all the way. That gained my most confidence to now get wacky. Yep. Because that's what we do now, is wacky stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, now you're, now you're the weird farmer. That's in the right. Area. Yeah. And that's the way it is. But that's the way I want it to be. Yeah. That you're doing something totally different. Totally different. I, I, I do not want to be a commodity. Mm -hmm. I want to be something... Because walk us back through that, I think, on where are these crops going to? So you have some diversity here, more than a lot of people are I'm able to have. I'm very fortunate. But I've you've got, got a, some markets. Explain those. Yeah, I've got a dairy that's only five miles away from where we're standing right here that feeds non-GMO milk to a Dannon processing plant that then supplies non-GMO yogurt to the consumer. In 14, 2014, Dannon came to me in, I, I, I remember this, my dad's birthday is, is April the 12th, and they came to me on April the 10th, two days before dad's birthday. Said, Rick, we need you to switch 1,500 acres of GMO corn to non-GMO corn. Yeah. Can you do that? 
I'm ready to go to the field and yeah, plant. You got the seed sitting yeah, right there. It's right there, ready to crack the, the, the pro box open. Yep. Make a couple phone calls. Again, I'm, uh, this is kind of, I mean, I'm only 55 years old. But people forget how just recent ago we didn't have traits. Sure. Okay? Sure. So now I'm all kind of, you know, how, do I, how am I going to do this? Yeah, you're freaking out. Yeah, I'm freaking out. But, <laughs> but it's okay. It's okay. So I get a couple, make a couple phone calls. Yep, we round up 800 units of seed. Yeah. Actually, easier than I thought at the time. We plant the seed. We use insecticide. Okay. Okay? This is the last year we ever used a trait or an insecticide on this farm. Wow. Okay. Because. This is 2014. This is 14. So from 15 on, we've used no seed treatments, no insecticides, no fungicides, none of those attributes. Because this farm is heading toward balance. Balance between predator to prey yep. and balance between bacteria and fungi. Yep. When you take away the, the insecticides and the seed treatments, the, the neonicotinoids, all these things that are, are killing our beneficial species, yep. you take all those away, we're heading toward balance, and now I can plant non-GMO corn or organic corn because it has the balance and you don't have all the issues out there that we're scared about. That's right. The reason why we have a corn rootworm problem is because the species that preys on corn rootworm We've is not them. there. Sure. On the farms over there. On yep. our farm, we're getting to balance. And so you started in 2019 with those cover crops. By 2014, everything's in cover crop. Yes. Yeah. 2009. Yeah, 2009. So 2009. It's full blown. Cover crop everywhere. It's full now, blown. By that time, cover crop everywhere. And it's and we're and we're deep into farming green now. Farming green. And this is why I think people question me on how I've gotten to where we are so quickly. I think it's because we have let these cover crops go further into the growing season. I will only plant corn and soybeans into a living, growing, green cover crop. Right. Nothing's killed beforehand. It's all terminated afterwards. Yep. I now no longer will plant corn before Mother's Day because I am coming with a legume package this fall mm -hmm. to get pr prepared for my corn crop next spring. The last thing I want to do is spray it and burn it down April the 1st, I want to let that legume fix all the nitrogen I can. Yeah. Because here's, here's where I'm at on this. I have a, in my opinion, I have a realistic yield goal on this organic mm -hmm. corn of 150. My uh, factor on nitrogen is, is somewhere between 0.7 and 0.8. Okay. So let's say it's 0.8. That's about, I need about 120 units of N. Yep. I can show you data with the cocktails that I plant, I can fix 75 to 100 pounds of nitrogen through these legume packages. Okay. The system that I've got working with the microbes and everything with the cover crops, we are gonna mineralize at least another 50 pounds. I have the nitrogen now I need to raise a 150 bushel corn crop. Right. So you're letting just the fixation out of the atmosphere from the legumes right. and the recycling with the microbes right. to feed that corn crop for That's you. Exactly so right. now there's nothing going on. No it's fertilizer. No fertilizer. 
So you're building up your cover crop utilization, right. and now after a couple short years, you are all in. Right. What does that look like? Well, today, what that looks like is about about 7,000 acres. Okay. And, and I know that seems like a lot, but once you, you get your system in, I mean, we are develop, we've developed and we're constantly trying to improve a systematic approach to regenerative farming. That's what we do here. And in my opinion, 1,000 acres, 5,000 acres, 10,000 acres, once you get the system in place. You can scale it. it you can scale it. When, and you're, how many times are you actually going across the field? Well, we've got a, we've got a, the mo to me, the most important pass is the cover crop pass, sure. the, the air seeder. That's number one. Number two is the planter in the spring. Air, so air seeder in the fall, following the combine. Yep, it's in the same field. Then in the spring. Planter. And the problem with that is, is me trying to stay awake. Because I'm in this field by myself with no, there's no radio chatter going on. You know, you know, the, the guy in the field cultivator is not calling, hey, you know, what am I going to do here? There's none of that going on. I've got a seed tender parked at the end of the field. There's no starter fertilizer being used. There's no nitrogen being <laughs> nothing applied. Nothing to slow you down. There's nothing to slow me down. You got to listen to this great podcast I got, called Fieldwork. That's right. That's exactly right. You'd stay awake for hours. That's exactly right. But then, that's number two. Yep. Second pass, planter. Combine. What about the roller crimper? And then the roller crimper. Yeah, so I've got that. four passes. Four passes total. Total. And none of, them, uh, none of them turn any soil. Yep. So air seeder in the fall, planter in the spring, roller, roller crimper, crimper, which we'll get into. Right. And harvest. Right. And that's it. Right. Fuel consumption has to be like, 50%. the fuel guys have to hate you. They hate us. They're never here. They never come. They, they never, never get come. to come visit. 50%. 50% of the fuel that you were using right from a, typically. From, yes, from 2010 or 11 to today, we've decreased fuel by 50%. And that equates to how much money? That alone is about $35,000 a year. Yeah. Now, if you add up, I've got a, a slide that I have in some of my presentations. Um, I've got fuel, I've got horsepower. Horsepower, we've gone from 3,400 horsepower to 1,200. Same acres. Yeah. Um, and that's why our fuel consumption is down. That's obvious. Sure. Uh, uh, synthetic in, uh, MAP, uh, DAP, MAP or DAP, potash, and ag lime. Yep. All those added so up. That's a synthetic fertilizer. Synthetic all those MPK are and lime. Those are all zero. They're all zeros. No ag lime. Our, I just got some Haney tests back um, uh, this week. Okay. Our pH on the farm is 6.8 to 7, and I haven't applied any ag lime for five years. Back to the balance. I've taken away all the thing, the acid, the, acid. the salt, all mm. that's gone. Yeah. So we are becoming synergistic with Mother Nature. Yep. And that's, I think it's funny too, because I always get hit up about, so what is soil health? And I always say one word, and it's the easiest question ever, it's balance. Balance. But now it's balance in the chemical, physical, biological components, right. all balanced. My definition of soil health is this, it's this simple. If inputs are going down and yields going up, how could I not be building? But you must be mining out. your soil. That's right. You must be, that's what I hear. No. You must be mining your soil. No. Okay, so now you're seeing, we don't need these 
We don't need multiple tractors. We don't need right. as big a tractors. And we're not going across the field that much. We're saving some fuel. Right. It's relating to good savings. What are some of those other line items as you pencil right. out? Um, we've got uh, fuel savings of about 50%. Um, we no longer use MAP fertilizer. So that's 100%. Yeah. No longer use potash. That's 100 um, We no longer use um, ag lime. That's 100 We've taken our average chemistry bill from $40 an acre to eight. And eventually that'll go to zero, but for today it's at eight. Sure. So when you take into account all of these savings, and I haven't even gotten into like labor or, or seed or any, I'm just hit on a few things here. Yeah. These few things amount to about $670,000 a year savings right. on a farm this size. Yeah. So that's almost, what, like 90 bucks an acre yeah. total. Yeah. I think it's probably being conservative. It's, as it's probably conservative. That's okay. I'd yeah. rather be that way than yeah, the totally, other way. Totally. Um, but just think about how small our carbon footprint here is on, is on this farm now. Yeah. We've brought this down. Your carbon way footprint down. is negative. It your, might your be. Your carbon footprint is, it's a net gain. It probably, in carbon I don't know that. I can't say that, but you're probably correct. Yeah. And that's exciting. Yeah. That is so exciting. Yeah. And and we are so willing to 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 share that knowledge, be transparent. You know, the consumer yeah. is driving the bus. Yeah. We know that. Well, let's figure out how to get the consumer what they want. And that's one thing I keep saying too is is farmers like we're ready to do this. We're ready to be at scale, but it's tell us what you want as yeah. a consumer. And that's part of the problem, I think, is there is that disconnect. Companies and the consumer don't exactly know what they want. Right. Um, we're going to be at the Field to Market conference mm -hmm. here. C congratulations, well, by the way, on your Appreciate big award. Um, and so we're getting that conversation going with the consumer, and farmers are saying, hey, yeah, I'll do this, but it's kind of risky for me at the right. beginning. So tell me where's my target so that I can set my sights and I can figure out how do I get there. Right. Because as I'm doing this, I'll feed into a better supply chain for you. Right. But I need to know what you want. Mm -hmm. Well, Mitchell, you hit on so many good points. You, you do. I've mentioned several times that I've been very fortunate. My timing has been very good. Yeah. When I started a lot of this transition coming to where we are today, yeah. price of corn was five, six dollars a bushel. Sure. So if I had some slippage along the way, it was easy to that was your safety that. net. That's right. Today, there's no room for error. Yeah. And that's a problem. Yep. So it compounds the, the effort of even getting the farmers to, dis, to think about making any kind of change right. because rightfully so, they say, I can't afford Correct. any screw up. Yep. The I banker, get that. I get it. Yep. The bankers saying, hey, I need money and planting green and doing what you're doing. RMA, so your insurance does not cover that. It, 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 it you becomes, are way out of compliance. And, and I no longer carry insurance. Okay. Yeah. I'm working on that. Yeah. No longer carry insurance. Uh, I believe so much in our system and what we've got, we don't need. No. Nope. So it's done. We're done with that. And like you said, we're not complying with RMA anyway. <laughs> so we're out. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's what needs to happen for the farmer to help survive 
but they can barely afford to do it to get there. Yeah. Does that make sense? That's, that's it's a, conund one, it's that's, a conundrum. That's been one of the biggest things that's been like my main takeaway here recently is we're farming in Indiana. I'm farming in Iowa on some of the best soils in the world, yeah. and I'm not making any money. Yeah. And the farm is, is going, the farms are going bankrupt, and farmers are killing themselves. Right. Like, this is Something's major problem. What, something is change. wrong. Something is wrong. Yes. Something's it, way wrong. And I think now we can see there is light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. There is a path forward. Yeah. Hey, everybody, it's Zach here. It's time for us to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Fieldwork Podcast. I am Mitchell Hora. And I'm Zach Johnson. And today we are featuring Mitchell's visit to Rick Clark's farm in Indiana. We're going to just go ahead and dive right back in here. So explain this. How's, how's data kind of helped you out here and helped uh, make this critical. work? Uh, data, good data, yeah. leads to good decisions, which then puts you in a position of strength. And that's where we are here. We need to get now, you on a brochure or something saying that. Everybody collects data. Yep. Every application that's going on, whether the farmer knows it or not, yep. he's collecting data. The question is, what are you going to do with that data? <laughs> yep. We do a lot with this data. And we take this data and we will might have 10 to 12 layers mm. to make a decision on what we're going to do in the future. What, explain and that's us important. what type of data are we talking here? We're talking uh, Haney tests. Yep. We're talking uh, yield data. Yep. We're talking topography. We're talking uh, tile versus no tile. Mm. Uh, we're talking hybrids, yeah. tissue uh, data, tissue sampling, anything you can think of. We're doing nitrate tests. Mm. We're doing it all here. Yeah. We do everything here. So doing all these tests and stuff, though. But then it sounds like it's really kind of just validating. Like we don't, we don't actually need it. Right. Where typically guys are collecting that data to make a variable rate application. That's right. Based on that information, you're doing it to validate and to track over time. That's exactly right. Okay, so now, and the, there's, there's another thing going on here though. We, since we've taken away the, the potash and the, and the map or dap, whichever one you want to use, I'm running a very fine line here. So I want to make sure the system's not crashing, okay? I believe if you and I have a conversation in five years, I may totally eliminate soil testing. I may. If the numbers keep giving me the same results. Sure. Okay, because then I'm in a system that I think is, is, is regenerative and is sustainable and is going to continue. Well, like I said, it's in balance. And it's in balance. <clears throat> and so as I do a ton of soil testing, and that's what I've seen is the farms that have good soil health, they're flat lined. That's right. They we stay in balance. They don't go through the fluctuations. We've got, I've got all kinds of, of studies that we do here. One of the, the things that I love to do is stability mm. testing. Since the implementation of cover crops, we have taken our standard deviation of corn yields from 30 to 7. So we've taken all the noise out and sure. our, we've just about become predictable on what our yield may be barring any major mother nature catastrophe. Oh, I, I can't dictate that. Sure. But if we, and see this goes back to what I said earlier, good data leads to good decisions which puts you in a position of strength. If the market should rally for some reason, yeah. I'm comfortable with the amount of bushels per acre I can sell and take advantage of that rally. 
Well, and now that you are more predictive and you have that information, you're able to be a lot more stable player in a market. So you said you've got the dairy here that's non-GMO right. dairy. Go back to what are some of these other markets that now you have opened up? Well, so our soybeans, we're still kind of, I, I can't get into the, the, the dairies yet with the soybeans because we have to have a, a, a soybean meal processing mm. set up somewhere or a cooker or something. And I'm not to that point yet. So what we're doing with the soybeans is we are feeding into the Cargill non-GMO uh, plan that they have, and we're paid a premium to raise non-GMO soybeans. Okay. Okay. But that's not that much. No, it's not. It's it, it's enough though to be worth the time, and and I'm not going to do anything else anyway. It's part of your system. That's now. right. It's part of my system, so it it fits. Yeah. Now the organic uh, side of the equation. We hope to be feeding into an organic dairy that's about an hour away. And, and for, for typically, that is a short distance to travel for an organic farmer to get rid of his, sure. his produce. Um, so I'm very excited about that. It's given us plenty of opportunity to transition the whole farm toward organic. And, and you know, there's several reasons why organic fits this farm. The main reason is human health. I am deeply concerned about the health of myself, the family members, our employees, anybody that it touches this farm, they have to live in a stable, healthy environment. And that's what we're trying to create. Yeah. And explain us that too, like that you have multiple family members and stuff involved right, in the farm. Right, we have. And employees. Right, I have, uh, my, my father is still part of the farm. He's my mentor. My dad is the gentleman who taught me how to think. Because Mitchell, what, in, the, in the world that we live in now, you have to be nimble and quick. Yeah. Because things change in a hurry. Yeah. My dad taught me how to think out of the box and look ahead and be progressive. I'll never, never forget him for that. I mean, it, it was the best gift he ever could have given me. Sure. My nephew Aaron is part of the farm. Um, my daughter, my youngest daughter, Rachel, has recently came back with her husband, Eric. They're part of the farm. Uh, I have two children. My first daughter, Jessica, she's married to a farmer. They farm on their family farm in Tippecanoe County. And everybody, everybody's good. Seems like now, though, with so few passes across the field, what's everybody I'm bored. do? Yeah. Yeah, now you don't have to. You're able to go and do what you want to do yeah, right. and live your life. Yeah, I'm not bored, but... Uh, there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. Yes. To actually spend time with your family. Yes. You're not sitting in the tractor all day, every That's day. Right. And I, I want to teach people. So I like to speak. I, I'm asked to speak a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, and I enjoy that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, uh, you know, if I can inspire just a few people in that audience to go home and think about change, I mean, what... This is how I close my, my, my speeches and my talks. If you're not uncomfortable with what you're doing, then you're not trying hard enough to change. Yeah. And that's true. Think, I, I don't care what your occupation is. If you're lazy and complacent, you're not willing to change. Sure. And that's not what we need here. We need change. Yeah. And then we need people to show us how to do this change and, and assure us that it's okay. If, if your plan was A, but now you're on Z, yeah. it's okay. Right. 
because we will have a, an answer for somewhere through the alphabet. Sure. I mean, this year, I think I went through 20 different plants from what I thought it was going to be. Yeah. But that's okay. It's okay. Yeah, it's not going to be a one-size-fits-all. No. Like, I think that's how it was, especially for a farm your size, too, is we got to have one-size-fits-all because it's easier to manage that way. Yeah. Now it's, okay, if this happens and we're going to do this, if this happens, we can tweak, right. be nimble, no big deal. Right. I, one thing we haven't hit on here yet is that transition to organic. Mm -hmm. So walk us through... How did that, how did the organic space come about and what is your plan to transition and where are we at within that plan? Right. Well, the organic, the organic is almost a great fit for the way I farm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I've now completed year two of no chemicals on any soybean acres. Do I have weeds in my fields? Yes, I do. But not enough to make a difference, sure. okay? So by farming green, by waiting and not terminating cover crop until after the cash crop was planted, I now have my weed control is my cover crop. Hmm. So in soybeans, soybeans and cereal rye go together wonderfully. Yep. Those two, if you do nothing else out of what you've heard me say today, is plant beans into cereal rye. At least do that much. Yep. By doing it the way I do it, I, I like to plant beans into cereal rye when they're boot stage. So in the region that I live in, that's around April 28th. That's a great time to be putting beans in the ground, in my opinion. Sure. I hope to have, in th so many things have changed in just a short amount of time. I hope now that I have all my beans planted before I even open a, a pro box of corn. That's what I hope. Very different. Yes, very different. We, it was, it's a flip. Yep. Ten years ago, you'd want to hammer, hammer, hammer to get the corn done, yep. and then you'd think about as, beans. As soon as it's thawed out, you're put, planting corn. That's right. I'm not thinking that way anymore. Yeah. And there's many reasons for that. But by planting the beans at boot stage, it's moved our planting date up 45 days. Yeah. Now, what I mean by that is... I'm going to try and terminate all of my cover crops mechanically. So my choice, my weapon of mass destruction choice is a roller crimper. Yep. It's an INJ, comes from INJ in Pennsylvania. It's the same concept that the Rodale Institute came up with. It's the Chevron pattern. Tremendous tool. Yeah. Tremendous. Cereal rye can be best terminated at anthesis. The protein lignin is at the highest, and the, the plant becomes very brittle. Yep. And anthesis meaning when it's going maturity. It's dropping pollen. Dropping it's pollen. Shedding, shedding pollen. It's going to maturity. Uh, it's fertilizing. That's yeah. right. That's exactly right. And, so yeah. by doing this, I've got the beans planted at boot stage. 45 days from now, those beans are now at V2, V2 and a half, yeah. and the cereal rye is, is six feet. <laughs> We're laying it all down. All of it. Yep. Soybeans, cereal rye is all being rolled down. Yep. I now have laid down my mat of armor to suppress the weeds in my organic soybean, soybean field. Sure. And the beans are resilient. They stand right back up. Yep. And we've also accomplished what I think is one of the best things. We have affected the apical bud on the soybean plant to a point to where it's sending a message 
that it's time to stack nodes and we're going to put on lateral branching. Yep. And that's where your extra yield comes from. Right. So they're branching back out and <clears throat> kind of stimulating them to really keep that vigor. That's right. Is really what it's after. That's right. So now being able to do organic on that, but this year was the first year actually harvesting an organic crop. Right. So it's been transitioned for a couple of years. It's, it takes three years of transition. Yep. And, and I'm so excited. The farm has, has planted its first certified acre of corn and we've harvested our first certified acre of corn and I couldn't be more happy yep. with the end result. Weed control was way above expectations, hardly a weed in the field. Yeah. And the yield was way above expectations. Sure. So it's been, again, I've been very blessed with, with things working out. It's, it kind of seems like it's been just a natural transition yes. to that almost. And yes. now this year, number of acres that are in organic now out of the 7,000. 400. 400 out of 7,000 in organic now. Yeah. All was corn. All was corn. All will be soybeans next year. That's correct. New acres coming in next year. 700 coming in next year. Again, it's transitioning out of to be corn. Yeah. That's my advice here is when you build your plan, your transition plan, you need to build a plan so that the, the last year of transition is the building year of nitrogen and nutrients to plant a corn crop. You want your first certified crop to be corn. Yeah, so it sounds like, you know, you really had a lot of these things fixed already. You had the problems yeah. fixed yeah. in the conventional system. That's right. Weaned yourself off of the GM, the genetically enhanced seed, right. the synthetics, even the, the pesticides and fungicides, the insecticides have been out for a while. Right. Working strategically towards this, but it's still transitioning certain acres at a time. That's right. I don't want to go too far too fast. Yeah. The thing that we have to remember here is I am trying to do organic no-till cover crop. Yeah. This is almost unheard of. It's like, so let's go into that. So there's organic, there's regenerative, and you're regenerative organic. Well, that's exactly What's right. your view on those kind of things? It's going to be very difficult in corn. Okay, after I get past my alfalfa transition, I've, corn's gonna be the hard one. Okay. I think, I think we can grow enough nitrogen to do a wheat crop, I know we can. Beans go with, with cereal rye, I, we can handle that. Yeah. Um, corn is the problem, we'll figure it out, we're, we're gaining on it. The alfalfa is a tremendous tool on that, but but I'm using alfalfa as my transition because I've got the dairy that's close that will take it. Sure. Okay. Now, here's another thing I want you to think about. What we've started to do on this farm also is laying ground out of production, and I'm calling it a soil health building year. Okay. Okay, so there's no cash crop. This is year two transition. Oh. Livestock come on. Livestock are paddock grazed, high intensity, high impact, quick movement, and they're gone. Okay. Then we're building a legume package to prepare for corn next spring. Certified organic corn next spring. I see. That's the other way around the alfalfa piece. So let's kind of dig into that a little bit because there's a lot of stuff right there. Okay, so this is either in your transition or 
in your rotation. Right. Where you'll have a year with alfalfa. Right. And harvest the alfalfa. Right. Second year, you'll have some alfalfa and maybe some other stuff kind of mixed into it. The old high intensity graze and integrate livestock, which right. is another critical piece of soil health. Right. But intensely do it. And when you move them off, then you're going to air seed in another well, high legume mix. No, typically I've got two things going on here. I didn't, I, I may have said this wrong. Let's, let's talk transition to an organic field. Okay. That's alfalfa only, no grazing, mm. because that's too much alfalfa to graze livestock on. Right. Okay, it's the fields that are, say, too far from the dairy to get the alfalfa there. I see. I'm now gonna take year, I'm gonna, first year I'll probably raise soybeans, because the soybeans with the cereal rye gives me the weed control I need to get me through number, year number one. Okay. Those beans are sold as non-GMO beans, yeah. nothing special. Transition one. Transition year two is when I will come in and plant. That's your soil health building. That's the soil health building here year. There's no cash crop. I've yeah. put out a legume package or a forage package mm -hmm. to graze cattle on. Yeah. Cattle are coming in, moving across quick, doing that. The cattle are the last piece of the of the soil health building. That's my last yeah. leg of the system. Yeah. I have eight legs. That's the last one. Yeah. And that makes full circle. We're now in, totally in touch with Mother Nature. We're in a symbiotic relationship. And now the cattle have come in, high impact, move them, get them out, then come in behind them with my Balanza fixation clover package and get ready for next spring. I see. So that's, then you're planting green corn into that. Yeah. Now you've got the whole system, right. green all the time, right. no disturbance, right. no chemical impact, right. working with mother nature. So people always say to me, how can you take a year off with no cash crop? Well, we no longer look at a one year snapshot. This farm is driven by a lot of things, and one of the things it's driven by is return on investment. Mm -hmm. So what we now do is we look at three, four, five-year averages. So now you take that soil health building regen year and combine it with the year that follows it yeah. of a organic corn crop that I'm gonna sell for nine to 9.50 a bushel, yeah. and it's gonna make 200 yeah. that first year out. 200 bushel corn. Right. Now you do that math and then <laughs> average it back to the year that you didn't have a cash crop. Sure. Because most guys in their cash crop are they making, so that's, you know, if you're making $1,800 an acre, split that in two and try to do that in one year with that's your, right. I know our revenue per acre, 900 bucks an acre would be pretty darn good that's on right. that. That's right. On a conventional corn. And we got a zero crop. in there. Right. Except some people look at it as zero. I don't. You're looking at it as 900. Yeah. 900 in that year where we're getting nothing because it's going to come later. Plus the cattle have given me benefit. I'm yep. I mean, it's all. It's yeah, all. So you're and, making money on the cattle. Yeah. And the, the, the beautiful thing about all this is we're building soil health all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. so it's all working in conjunction, a very holistic system. Yes. And so, Rick, this has yes. been great to talk, and obviously we can talk for hours. Oh, we could. Um, but it's been, it's been great here. Um, um, where can people go for other resources, I suppose, on, from you? 
um, to, to go as they want to dig into this further? Well, I think you can just go online and Google my name, okay. and you're going to come up. There's going to come up, and you'll see some presentations that I've done, some podcasts I've done. Um, the Pennsylvania Alliance did a, a good podcast on me the, uh, this summer. Mm. It's out there. Um, you know, your, your <laughs> podcast, stuff. I mean, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all out there. Well, so this has been awesome. And I think we'll really resonate with a lot of our listeners. So um, excited to continue to learn from you and implement this back on our farms around the place Thank as you. we're trying to help more people. Um, I definitely think this is where we're going to have to continue to learn, but being able to do it profitable at scale, yeah. that's huge. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate what you do. This, this is a very important message that needs to get out. Yeah. And believe me when I tell you this, it's gaining traction. It is. People are listening and people are actually, we're, we're helping people to, to shift their mindset. And we've got to get them comfortable. Thanks again you're, for you're having welcome. us out. Thank this you. has been fantastic. Well, this has definitely been uh, one of my favorite episodes, I think, already for sure, that Rick um, is really kind of um, at the epitome of where I would love to be as a farmer. I think we are a long ways away from it, um, but what he's doing on his farm is really, really inspiring. And uh, that he, you know, just a couple of years ago, really wasn't that big into this system, but uh, he's been able to make progress extremely quickly. And it's really working out, really paying off for him. And, um, you know, he's definitely seeing the payback and seeing it really work out. And uh, so it was great to feature him on the podcast today. And and I've definitely taken a lot back to my own operation. Yeah, that's got to take a lot of work, a lot of thinking involved there, a lot of labor involved and uh, props to him. Good for him. Really interesting to hear about. All right, it's that time on the Fieldwork Podcast once again. We are going to open up the listener mailbox here and see what we've got on the voicemail. This is Lee Tesla calling in, one of your regular fans. Um, say, a um, couple of uh, program ideas. One would be uh, climate change and how we make our farmland more resilient, more resilient to uh, the swings in the, in the climate uh, and, the, and then in the weather, of course, that we see in the upper Midwest, and how do we cope with that in, on our farmland? And, uh, and then second would be uh, landlords, tenants, and conservation. How do we, what are some strategies for landlords and tenants to work together on, uh, on conservation measures on the, on the land as well? So thank you very much. And, and by the way, who were those two goofy guys that left the, uh, left the message there on the, on the line? Just, just curious. <laughs> Take care. Bye-bye. Well, Lee, uh, thanks for calling in and thanks for being one of our biggest fans. Uh, yeah, I definitely think, you know, the landowner and the farmer have got to be able to work together to, you know, leave a positive impact on the climate, be more resilient in their farming systems, leave a positive impact on water. You know, we've really got to continue to work together and thanks for helping and leading that charge. Yeah, I think when it comes to, you know, he had the question about how do we be more resilient uh, with the with the weather and, and the climate change. I think, you know, farmers have always had to battle weather. It's always been the big unknown for us. I mean, sure, we live in certain geographies and we understand the the patterns of 
typical weather, but you can't predict year to year to year what the weather's going to do in your area. So I think that's something that farmers have always battled with. Uh, so I think that's really something that we're always trying to do is to be as resilient as we can when it comes to that. So I think um, just as we move forward and continue to learn more about soil and, and about our farming practices and, and we move forward, I think that we will automatically become more resilient to the weather just through the knowledge that we gain and, and the expertise and maybe through some of the machinery and, and technology that we use as we move forward. That's it for our show today. Our, uh, our poor sponsors. Wow. <laughs> well, you know, they, they kind of had to know what they were signing up for when they came on board, right? Oh, yeah. They, evidently. They're keeping us around, so that's good. Our, our poor producers, Mitchell. That's, yeah, that's what you mean. Producers. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I feel bad for them. They have to put up with us all the time. And by us, I mean mostly me. That's right. Mostly you. That's it for Fieldwork today. Thanks to all the people who helped make Fieldwork possible. Annie Baxter, Amy Scotchless-Cole, Claire Jones, Noah Boston, Kristen Schmidt, Eric Romani, and Lauren Humpert. Our theme song is written and performed by Johnny Vince Evans with help from Corey Shruppel. And our website is fieldworktalk.org. We are also on YouTube at Fieldwork. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We cover them all. If you like our show, it'd be awesome if you would write us a review. And of course, we'd love to get a voicemail message from you that we can play on our show. Leave us a comment or question at 651-228-4810. Till next time, thanks for joining us. <laughs>